Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Romantic Truth Podcast. Please be advised that the content of this show is for mature audiences 18 and over due to the topics discussed. Please feel free to follow and like Romantic Truth on Facebook at facebook.com slash romantic truth. You may also listen to the podcast on anchor.fm slash romantic truth. Now, here is your host Jawson. Hi everyone, Johnson with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Sorry about that. Uh, Some of you were waiting for a posting this morning at 12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and it didn't happen. My bad on me. But we got a show for you today, and it's going to continue. But yet, uh, we do have uh, another show scheduled for tomorrow. And guess what? I got to start from scratch day after tomorrow just like I'm doing today. This show today is brought to you by some of the thoughts in my mind and people that contact the show. So let's get to it. Folks, we're gonna talk about a couple of things today. First thing we're gonna talk about, excuse me, that's very important, is emotional ambiguity. What is it? Emotional ambiguity is this uh, love-hate type feeling. And people get in relationships with people based on this premise. They might like the person or love something about the person. It could be their culture. It could be their race. It could be their hair color, their skin color, their skin texture. You name it. It could be adorophobia or adorophilia and adorophobia mixed in the one. They may hate your skin color and love it at the same time. Now, I'm no scientist, but one thing that I can say is that when it comes down to something like this, we have to look at a few things here. People who get into these relationships, especially when they're interracial, they may have an agenda and that agenda is trying to sort out their feelings about people of that particular racial group so instead of you know you see some people that say oh you know he has to be a black man or she has to be a black woman or she has to be a latin woman or she has to be an asian woman where they have some sort of specific category they're looking for and that's it now there are some who specifically do this because they may have beef on one end of the spectrum with people within that within that group and on the other end of the spectrum they may have this passion this deep passion for them and no one likes to be in this kind of relationship with this kind of person i'm just flat out with you and here's the thing that you need to do if you find yourself on a date with someone like that, just say, hey, wait a minute. 
we have to make a decision here. Either you're going to love me or hate me, but you're not going to do both. If you're going to dislike me, I can leave now. Be frank and upfront, because a lot of these people are still going back and forth in their emotions about it. And it may have nothing to do with you. More than likely, it has something to do with an experience they had in the past, or some other, maybe psychosis, who knows, or some other situation where they were wronged by someone that happened to be of your same ethnic group or racial group. Doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Asian, or whatever. People will have this disposition sometimes. And you'll run into it. I've run into this a lot. We're on a date, the woman's talking about you people. And then the next breath, she's talking about how much she loves African Americans. And then the next breath, she's telling me how I should be so thankful that she chose me because she's a white woman. And then she turns around and says that she's so lucky to have a black man. Well, I knew something was wrong with this damn seesawing ass woman. And I said, look, you need to go to a therapist probably to sort your feelings out. Cause right now, what I'm seeing from you is modulation up and down, up and down, just like a plane that's out of control. And I cannot function in a relationship without that, with, with instability like that. Well, no, no you know, I, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just confused whether or not I, there's some things I like about, about people like you and there's some people I don't. Oh, people like me. And then next minute, I'm a honey, I'm a sweetheart, I'm a baby. Now this could be attributed to bipolar disorder because sometimes people who have that condition may have some of these symptoms. But here's the thing. You don't know. You're on a date with this person. And then this comes out. And here's the thing. A lot of people will camouflage this upon meeting them initially. And then when they feel as though it's now's the time to let my hair down, they can do it. Because see, a lot of people are under the misconception that, oh, you're going to be Sherlock Holmes and figure everything out within the first five to ten minutes of being with that person. Bullshit. If that was the case, we would not have such a high divorce rate. So we know that that is a fallacy. The thing is, you're going to have to come in. You're going to have to do the work. And when you find out what's going on there, you need to address it and call it for what it is. Don't sit there. Don't try to act as if it doesn't exist. Don't ignore it. Address it. And if it makes you feel uncomfortable, do not get into the relationship. Now, here's the thing. It's not just put on race. Because when I would put this on race, when I would run across people like this, <laughs> I would call it infatuacism. That's what I would call it. That was my term for this particular kind of ilk. Now, there are other people that may have that same kind of back and forth when it comes down to size. You may have a petite woman that might like fat guys. And she gets with a fat guy and she talks about him like a dog. And then she turns around and tells him how much she loves fat guys. Now, you'll also see this done when people are around their peer groups. They talk negative around 
the person that they're in a relationship within their peer group and then when they're around that individual they're patronizing and supporting in that person's peer group don't you hate that shit it happens more often than you think and it's not really bound to race or it's not really bound to a group of people individuals will do this you know, it's like the person who's your friend who talks well about you when they're with you and talks ill about you when they're not around you anymore, they're around their girlfriends or whomever. It's the same sort of dynamic. Not any changes whatsoever in that whole structure. Now, another thing that we have to look at with this is that once you find out the person is like this, you're going to have to start distancing your feelings from that individual until you have made a choice on what you're going to do as far as whether you're going to stay or leave. Because I can tell you right now, you're going to be in for some insults, some hurtful feelings. You're going to be in for some things you shouldn't be exposed to. And that's a red flag. And of course, you will understand why that person is out there single, still looking for someone. They have a red flag over their head explaining that whole thing. You wouldn't even need a roadmap to it. You'd understand it. Now, these people are not bad people, but a lot of them will not go out and get help. And they will have this and think that it's okay and when you have something so long, what happens? You begin to normalize it. It becomes the it becomes part of your life. It becomes a part of you where you get offended if someone even addresses it. Even though it's fucked up. You're gonna sit there with both fists up, coming, no, mm-mm, ain't gonna hurt my feelings. No, ain't gonna hurt my feelings. But that's what's happening. Folks, we're going to talk more in just a moment. This girl just told me she's celibate, but she got three kids. That just made me mad. Just say you taking a break because that little monkey tired. I understand that better. Shoot, once you get your back cracked, you can't go back. Remember that. All right, there's a reason why women do this, and I'm glad this lady called it out. What she's trying to do is repackage herself as a virgin. Ma'am, you have a lot of miles on you. Let's face the reality of it. You can never go back and put that genie in a bottle. Now, this was very popular a few years ago. A lot of women from the 90s were doing this same thing. And it was like, everybody looked at them like they had lost their minds. Because you only repackaging yourself to make you feel better. But the reality of it is, we already know, no, that horse has left the barn. It's not coming back anytime soon. It would be the equivalent 
of you cooking a meal from scratch and then you're putting the leftovers back in the container and expecting to open that container up to heat those items up again, but you would have to go through cooking that same meal from scratch again. Ladies, please quit fooling yourself on this delusion. You have had your day in the sun. A lot of you would like to do this. And let me tell you something. There's a lot of women who want to do this who had resentment from those sunset years, those beautiful years. You're sunsetting on your teenage life and a new dawn on your adult life from 18 to 25. As some of you ladies fucked it off, deadbeat guys, having a whole bunch of babies that you weren't really prepared for. Taking on too many obligations and commitments that weren't yours. Getting in relationships too soon. Some of you did positive things with that period of time. Went to school. Created a business. Launched a career. Bought a house. But one thing to keep in mind. Usually those people that are talking about that rebirth, rejuvenation stuff, a lot of times they have been off track in their lives and they're trying to get back on. And I mean way off, not just a detour. I'm talking way off, lost. Ladies that are going around talking about their celibate, especially in their 40s. Let me tell you something, ladies. I'm just going to tell you the truth. A lot of men can't say this because they'll get beat up by women but I'm going to say it here we go when you're 18 when you first become of legal age until you're about 25 men look at you as a priority as prime meat when it comes to sexual virility and sexual desire that right there is your heyday And guys know that by the time you're 26, 27, 28, going into 30s, you've had your share of men. And then you'll be ready to kind of settle down, usually. Now, you're going to still have some residual beauty and going to have a fine shape and everything else to go with it. But here's the thing. The new competition, which is 18 to 25, you're 27 to 28. On the physical tip, those girls are the ones that are desired. That is their time to shine. By the time you're 30-something, 40-something, 50-something, telling yourself 50 is the new 30 and all this other shit, You're going to pass your life away fighting a natural process called aging and not enjoy living life. If you're worried about how pretty you look, 
instead of how stable is my heart? How stable are my feelings? Just something for you to think about because a lot of men won't say this. But that's what they look for. You know, all those fantasies, all that porn, everything else. That's the prime demo that men are looking from 1825. Usually anything older than that, especially if the guy's like 20-something and he's into women that are in their 40s and 50s. He's into a different type of situation. Now, one thing I would tell you that I always got mistaken for in this, when I would date older women. Younger women and women in my peer group used to call me a loser. But I could get along with older women better than I could women in my peer group. We wouldn't have shit to talk about. I'm not tracing my ass all over the world to see a damn rock band or a damn rap group. That's not me. Never was me. I'm not going to go and open my wallet up to pay somebody more than I would ever pay myself to see them. Not going to happen. I'm not that enthusiastic about you. And when I would do it, trust me, it was in moderation. So, yes, fellas, you'll be classified as a loser if you're dating older women by comparison to these younger women. But here's the thing to consider. The guys that will date them in the future will be losers because of one thing. They have passed the time frame. But this is, once again, something that women have come up with. And this is what they hit guys with to to shame them. So if you're a guy 18 to 25 and you wind up with a woman that's maybe 35 or 40 and you guys really have a good relationship, don't forfeit that relationship for the criticism of women in your peer group. I'm telling you. Don't do it. Because see, those are the girls that will criticize you but never date you. You'll be one of those people, so to speak. Just wanted you to get a heads up. So, what did we learn from this? Ladies, quit using the line that you're celibate. It makes you feel good. It doesn't do shit for anybody else. This is something women tell each other. As men, we look at you like you're delusional. It's important to you that you made that milestone of not using your pussy for so many years. We can care less. We don't care about how tight or how loose it is. Because there's somebody that's going to always like whatever you have between your legs, ladies. That's the way it goes. So you're doing all these exercises for yourself based on many of the things you hear from your girlfriends. I want to quit listening to other women and ask some men sometime. You know, we can think and talk too.
Now, the next thing we're going to discuss is emotional austerity. What is this? This is a person that may have the outer feelings of a relationship, but internally, they're not ready to share their feelings. They're not ready to compromise, modify. However, they will give you the inkling that they're looking for a relationship, but internally, they're actually closed to the idea. The one thing that motivates people to have this is a sense of self-control. They feel as though they're in control of their destiny as long as someone else doesn't interfere. So therefore, anyone else that comes in is looked at as a threat. Now, usually with these individuals, they'll come in a relationship with an agenda. And that agenda usually is for their own self-gratification. Usually sexual, financial, whatever it is, is very one-dimensional. They don't want to get involved in a relationship with you because they feel as though you're beneath them. They actually have a very high uh, opinion of themselves. And it doesn't matter about who you are, what you are, what you have. This person just has this disposition and it doesn't change. And the reason why it doesn't change is because this individual has already groomed themselves to gradually fall into this. This is not something that a person comes out of the womb with. This is something that they develop over time, over experiences, over the way they were treated. They may become very callous when it comes down to ending a relationship after they've used that person. They don't want to give any closure. They're more or less like the people that say get over it. And to them, they find justification in treating people poorly. Now, it's not their sole agenda is to go out and break somebody's heart or treat someone as if they are not uh, of a certain character or a certain uh, level of uh, respect. What they're doing in essence is they're treating the person as they're treated. Now. As I told you, some people do not treat themselves well and have not been treated treated well. So what they will do instead is they will pass it on to others. Now, these people go into relationships deliberately without the intention of ever someone getting into their heart, into their feelings. They don't want to be hurt. Some have been hurt before. Others have that guard up. Now, you've heard uh, the lady that was talking about, she was trying to figure things out in the other podcast the other day. Well, she is almost there, but she's not quite there. When they finally get to that point, they start to look at everyone else as the enemy, me against the world. The world is my adversary. And so with that, they're very, 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 slow on who they would ever think about sharing their emotions with. Now, they also punish themselves for having these feelings. So it's not a thing where they're just going out, finding someone, falling in love with them, and living happy, happily ever after. 
they many times look at it as a situation of failure for them. Damn it, this person got to me. And in some cases, they will actually sabotage the relationship based on that premise because they like the way things were. Me against the world, us against them, those people. Because what they try to do, as long as they can not humanize others, they feel as though they're constantly winning because they're looking at those people. Yeah, that would never happen to me. Oh, many of you write into the show about this with the same disposition. Oh, those people are lowlifes. This would never happen to me. I could never be that stupid. I would never go on a date with someone and that happens to me. That's what you say until it happens to you. And then you have a different perspective and what do you do? Get mad at yourself, put those guards up and say, okay, Nobody's entitled to my emotions. I'm going to exercise emotional austerity, and therefore, mm -mm. and for those of you who may not be so familiar with the word, what it means is that they're going to take their emotions and cut off any kind of feelings towards that person. They're going to have only a slither. Is it slither or sliver? one of the two, of um, compassion. But one thing that's going to happen for sure, they're going to make sure that if anyone suffers in that relationship, it's going to be the other party. Now, there's some sad realities about this type of disposition with people. They usually find themselves going through multiple relationships, being of course, personally dissatisfied with the people that they've tried to go for, or unsatisfied, their choice of words. But one thing that they will do is they will go through and look back and always say, those people, their fault. Because one of the good things about this for them is that they don't have to take accountability for anything that they create, ruin, or destroy. It's always someone else's fault. Now you see how many of these characteristics and personalities blend in? Because some of you are saying, well, you know, narcissists do some of the same things. Of course they do. And so you'll find many of these characteristics combined in people. I told you, one of the hardest things to do is to actually get along with someone else. I've had friends and there have been women that I've dated that if you left them in a room by themselves, the room would be ramshacked. Or ramshacked, whichever one you prefer. Because of one reason. They're not at peace with themselves. Leave them in a room by themselves, they'll get in a fight. It's like, what's wrong? Well, my other personality didn't want to agree with me. Okay. It's an issue. I had a friend years ago. He had purchased a brand new car. It was that Camaro Z28. You know, that IROC edition. And he had just got the car. T-tops, 
It was red, that tan interior, that gold trim. It looked very good. Everybody was complimenting him on the car. And one day he said, you know, I should just go and destroy that car. I said, why? You paid cash for it, man. You stayed for that car. That was the car of your dreams. He said, you know, I was in a different mood when I purchased it. And now that I have it, it's like I don't feel like I want it anymore. He went out and sold that car for about maybe half of what he paid for it. Then, of course, after he sold the car, guess what he did? Missed it. And it talked about how stupid he was. And I asked him, I said, well, why the hell did you do something like that? He said, well, I wanted it, but I didn't want to get too attached to it. I said, so, with our friendship, eventually you're going to do the friendship just like you did the car. No, no, no. Guess what, folks? He did our friendship just like he did the car. He did his relationship just like he did the car. He did all of the other friendships just like he did the car. Trust issues? Yes. All other kind of issues? You better believe it. What did he do? Went overseas, married a woman that didn't know, and she's dealing with the situation now. It happens. But see, the thing you have to remember is this. You can't control how another person feels. You can't really make them feel for you. You know that song by Chaka Khan? I feel for you. I think I love you. You should hear the audio version of that with Prince because he's doing it uh, on a guitar by himself, a cappella. Pretty interesting. You can look it up on iTunes and also on Spotify. But yeah, you don't want to wind up dealing with that if you don't have to, if you don't have the stomach for it. We'll talk more in just a moment. Okay, I agree. It was too good to be true, and Michael is a total douchebag. Everything he said and promised me was an absolute lie. He called me a bumble bitch because that's where we initially met. The Jack Russell wasn't even his dog. <laughs> That was a first for me. Bumble bitch? <laughs> That's original. Um, yeah, well, here's the thing. When you turned me down to be a guest on the show, I was under the impression that you guys were preparing to go to Europe. So I respected that. Now, all of a sudden, 
the house of cards have fallen. And you found out this guy was pretty much uh, patronizing and bullshitting you in order to do what he did, slept with you. Here's the problem, ma'am. You went too fast in this altogether. I told you this in the beginning. Even when he was a gentleman and did what he did, I'm willing to bet you nine times out of 10, you put the accelerator on that relationship. You're the one that pushed the accelerator. You are the one. Remember you said that you wanted to see how he fit. So you slept with him. And here's the thing that I will tell you in the beginning. Remember when you talked about walking the dog, your French bulldog, his Jack Russell, and how you got tangled up in the leash and then wound up falling and you were exposed because your sundress went up over your hips and you had no underwear on? Well, guess what? At that point, the way he looked at it was, I'm just going to go ahead and ignore that and see if we can have a relationship. Now, he wasn't the one that put pressure on you to sleep with him. You were the one that talked about how he fit you inside. You were the one that talked about you guys are going to Europe. Remember, just like women do when they get the engagement ring and they just shoot their little hand to everybody as if to say, I'm better than you. I'm so better than you. Well, you did the same thing to me with the show. Um, sorry it happened to you, but I thought you were moving entirely too quickly. Hell, you guys haven't been together even, what, a full month, maybe two? And you're talking about going to Europe with this guy? You knew nothing about him. So he lied to you about everything. Are you surprised? But you got to remember, what did you do? You pushed the accelerator. So the more expectations you set for him, the more he was going to lie to you. Ladies, are you listening? The more standards that you raise for a man, the fewer of them he's going to meet. And he does he does that deliberately. He does that. He does that deliberately. And the reason for it? He's already met finer women with lower standards than you. Oops. And those lower standards? doesn't affect the quality of the woman. You see, when a man finds a woman that has standards that are within reason and she's of a higher quality, he's not going to stretch out and try to go on his hind legs and meet the standards of another woman who may think she is of that caliber, but it's not. Because see, as men, we have experienced that before. And we know we don't have to go this, that, and the third for it. We let the simps, we let the guys who haven't been with women that much before do those things. Happy boating.
Now, another term that I've run across while dating, emotional incongruence. What does this mean? Guess what, folks? You might go to the same church. You might even live in the same neighborhood, have the same value, same social structure, and everything else. Everything may get, you may get along with that other person on every level, except one. When it comes to your emotions, when it comes to sharing them, they may want to share with you, but they may be very, very um, slow to do so. And the reason why they're slow to do so is because they look at you from the standpoint of, I don't know if I can trust this person with my feel. I'll trust them with something a little bit, but not too much. I'm not going to trust them with the things that really would hurt me because they can weaponize those things and use them against me. Now, they're not quite like people who exercise emotional austerity. In that case, it's a zero-sum game. In this approach, they already have limits on what they're going to share with you. And everything else is off limits. However, people that will have access to some of those feelings will be people not directly related to you. Maybe family members of theirs. Maybe their friends. Maybe even a past lover. They will tell them how they're feeling in the current relationship they're in and ask for advice in order to sustain that relationship. And so that person may already be familiar with the fact that this person doesn't really share certain things emotionally. And many times these people fail to realize that clamping down on their emotions on that part of it may be an integral part for the relationship to last. And they may wonder why they don't. Because they kind of want it to go as long as we don't talk about this, that, or the other. Or as long as this or that is not brought up. Remember I talked about the X factor? Well, they may have that X factor. And they may not be comfortable sharing that with you. And they could be five years in the relationship, ten years in it, fifteen, twenty. And never disclose that to you. But yet, it's eating them up. Guys, ladies, sometimes when people break up with you for no apparent reason, usually there is a reason on their side, they just don't want to disclose it. And it may be that very thing that they don't want to disclose is the reason why they want to end it. Some people will opt to go for short-term relationships because they feel as though, well, you know, this person is not going to be too serious about me. So that, therefore, I don't have to reveal too much about myself to that person. Because it's not going to be a long-term thing. It's not like we're going to be sharing bills together. It's not like we're going to be cohabitating. It's just going to be a temporary thing. Now, what you have to remember is this. The classifications and categories of relationships, sometimes we kind of become very lackadaisical with it. And what we do sometimes is we'll go and say, 
I want a short-term relationship, but you'll click the box or you'll click on the little icon there to specify in your profile that you want that. It's always a good practice to reiterate that in your bio as to what you're looking for. The only reason being is that most people scroll past that and they actually read your bio. Not many, but you want to have the options in your favor. And you have to spell out what you want when you describe some of the characteristics you want out of your partner. But you also, in exchange, have to spell out some of the things that you offer in your bio. And a lot of times people leave those things out and they just go and load it up on what they want and what they don't want. Now, another thing too that will help you out as well as far as compatibility. You know how you put down what you don't want in many of these profiles? And you forget to put down what you do want? Guess what you're going to attract? More than likely the people you don't want. Again, anything where a person feels excluded or feels slighted, many people look at that as a challenge. If you went and put something in a profile such as, I prefer men with blonde hair and blue eyes, and you're a minority woman, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to get probably the ridicule from people that are in your own group. Because they feel as though, well, why, why, why do you specify that? Because, see, we have this superficial approach to dating now. That's based on nothing but trying to be a band-aid over a larger social-political problem in this country. Economics included. And we think that we can heal it by doing things such as dating sites, taking away racial categories, taking away gender specifications in the searches and in the profiles. They're just trying to be politically correct and to go with whatever society is pushing because they don't want anything to interrupt those dollars. It has nothing to do with advancing the social narrative forward. Please understand that. You know, years ago, there was a commercial where there was an interracial couple, black woman, white male, and the white male had um, a disability. And it was for a product. And they ran this commercial, and they got a lot of pushback. They didn't like the fact that, one, it was an interracial couple, two, that the white man was disabled implying that the only white man that she could possibly get was one that was disabled. Now, this is a mindset in our society as well, that some people think that, oh, you're dating interracially, so therefore there's something wrong with the person of the primary race that you're dating. When I say primary, I'm talking about the one that society favors the most. And see, this is the justification some use. She's fat. He's fat. He's broke. He's this. He's that. It's a qualifier. But they never look at the fact that 
this couple may be compatible and in love. So they look for things to divide them to qualify those things from their own perspective. Now, one thing that we have to realize too about this, emotional incongruency means that you guys may have feelings that just totally butt heads and don't even not where you guys could even work on your problems together. Let me give you an example of one. Take for instance, the woman's an alcoholic and the guy is a chronic cheater. And he feels as though he has justification to cheat because she's always drunk. And she feels like the victim because he's always cheating and not helping her with her issue. And he may feel as though, well, I'm not getting the nurturing and the support and I can't share my feelings and things with her. And so there's a sense of alienation. So there are very few things that are going to actually keep them together. Usually it's one word, G-U-I-L-T. He feels guilty he's cheating on his woman. She feels guilty that she's an alcoholic can't really be there for it. And so what happens then, it becomes very difficult for them not only to communicate, but to even respect each other in some instances. Depends on how bad the situation gets. So we have to think about that as well. Because sometimes addictions, other impediments will interfere with your emotional emotional compatibility and congruency. It will make other issues even more evident. You know, it's like uh, when something is frayed and how you want to cut that piece of fray off before, because if you pull it, you might pull the whole damn garment apart. They just want to kind of cut it off and some people cut it off and maybe put wax or something on there so it won't continue to fray and they can still wear it. It's like that. Again, if the two of you can acknowledge that you have a problem, that's the first step. Some couples never get to that step. Still, Oh, the problem's just fine because it's part of our relationship and we're fine with this dysfunction. More in a moment, folks. I've started using a new Bumble opener and it's going really well, I have to tell you about it. So if you didn't already know this, I always start out with, hey, so-and-so, big question for you, dot, dot, dot. It's a hook. It gets them to respond and stops the clock. I've used Mary Fuck Kill before, but I just came up with this one that I really like. You know this part of a Bumble profile? These are mine, but you get the idea. I'm using that as a Mary Fuck Kill. You know it's stuff they like. Mary Fuck Kill, your Bumble interest edition. So for this guy, Mary Fuck Kill, yoga, running, skiing. I don't like this awesome answer back, and I'm getting awesome answers from nearly everyone I'm asking, so go try it and let me know what happens.
right, folks. Now, in this example, this lady has um, decided to go more into creative marketing than actually expressing who she really is. Now, of course, we could go and say, well, you know, she's creative and using her creativity in order to attract someone to her profile. But let's wait a minute and let's think about something. How much of that is really her and how much of that is putting on an act in order to attract someone? This is what I'm talking about, folks. When I'm talking about we can't be ourselves. So she's going this, that, and the third out of the way in order to... Okay, you get that person's attention. Then what? And what are you going to do? Hold their attention and try to close the sale? Remember... What is she using? She's using the art of persuasion. Hey, over here. And then I guess after she's got the person's attention, she's got to try to keep it. But what this tells you is that she may be successful with many of her prompts. That doesn't mean she's successful in her relationships and dating. She may be successful in getting people's attention. Again, there's a big difference, right? But here's what I would also say to you. On Bumble, the woman makes the first move, right? So why would she need to get a guy's attention like that? If anything, the guy's got to write the ad to get her attention where she's the one that's going to make the first move. Now, that would probably work on another dating site where men make the first move or she may ask a provocative question to get a sassy answer or something like that but really what you have to ask yourselves more than anything do you have to go outside of yourself to be yourself that's the question Well, folks, I hope you're enjoying your Memorial Day holiday. And once again, we're still hoping that um, the Senate, Congress, and the President can come up with a plan before June 1st. If not, dun-dun-dun, you know what's going to happen, right? Finger pointing. Yes, of course. All right, now... There's another thing that we have to come to grips with. Emotional intelligence. Now, a lot of women are using this term in many of their profiles in regards to what they're looking for out of a partner. Now, what is EI? Well, EI is not mind reading, so let's get that abundantly clear. EI is picking up on sentiments that you would probably feel from that person and a response to those sentiments. You know, it's like, for instance, if a person's rubbing their arms and they're shivering and you go and you put a coat around your date and she says, thank you. feel relieved 
picking up on cues. Emotional cues. Now, there are some women out there that expect you to read minds, let me tell you. Now, they may be in a whole different world and you'll be on a date with them. And you're trying to figure out what's going on with them. They're not talking much. They're preoccupied in thoughts. And men do this as well, ladies. So it's not just one gender. But here's the thing. Some women that I've dated in the past have gotten mad because I didn't pick up on what they were thinking. And this is something that a lot of men are confused by. They could be fuming over something that you may not have had any notion about. This one lady in particular. We were going out to this restaurant and it was off the beach. It was up the coast a bit. It wasn't Gladstones, that's for sure. But we went there, had a wonderful dinner. So I thought, she was laughing and we were talking, cracking jokes and those kind of things. And then she went silent on me after dinner when we were walking down the beach. We were holding hands. And you know, I looked at her and she was looking at me that she would look out in the ocean. And she was just fixated. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Didn't know. On the way back to her place, dropping her off. She gave me that sophomoric hug, you know that hug, fellas, that they just give you, yeah, yeah. And gave me a quick peck on the lips. Putting her apart. Well, when I called her up, see how she was doing later on in the week. You know, you're very insensitive, is what she led with. Insensitive? I just don't feel as though you were into me. Hmm. Let's see. Took you to dinner. We were laughing, having a good time, cracking jokes with each other. And then we walked on the beach together, hand in hand, hugging each other, kissing each other. And I said, well, why were you staring out in the ocean so much? I just wanted to get away. I wanted to get away from everything. And that's when it triggered. When I asked the question, everything like what? You, my landlord, blah, blah, blah. And she went down the list of a whole, sh- whole bunch of shit. And I'm like, how was I to know this? You should have asked. Hmm. She told me. I'll say next time I'll just ask inappropriate questions that have no relevance to what we're doing and maybe uh, I'll be in your good graces. You just should have known. You should have known I wasn't talking that much. I said, well, during dinner you were basically the show. Everybody was laughing at your jokes and everything. Yeah, but that was for their benefit. 
she had to come back for everything that I lived with. So I said, you know what? Maybe we don't need to see each other again. Well, I'm not saying that. Nope. I'm saying it. We ended it. Because I wasn't going to go through that maze. She was going to sit on her feelings and not say it. I never forget one time Monica asked me, she said, so tell me, how are you feeling right now? I said, you really want to know how I feel? She says, yeah. And I told her, I said, you might want to prop up a pillow. I said, let me tell you, I feel financially inferior to you because you're a millionaire and I'm not. And in that regard, I worry about when we go out places because I can't afford half the shit that's on the menu. Um, I feel as though I love the gifts and everything you purchase. I love the trips we take. But I feel as though I'm not contributing. I feel as though I'm being led on with your goals and things you want to accomplish. And she was kind of taken aback. She was like, really? I didn't know you felt that way. I said, yeah. I said, but I've kind of let you know this in the beginning. And she said, well, I'm glad you told me this. She says, because now I'm going to be more inclusive when I ask you. Instead of, hey, I'm going to send a car for you to pick you up. We're going here or there. She says, I'm going to talk to you first and ask you if it's okay if we go to here or there. See, if you want to go there, or we can go and choose a place. In other words, what she did was she became more inclusive. Because in the beginning, hell, it was like <laughs> I couldn't plan one day to the next. She already had something in the itinerary for us. And when you can't plan, things become chaotic. Now, don't get me wrong, it was nice some of the things I was exposed to, some of the things I experienced, but I also had to look at it, and it wasn't even this masculinity thing, where the man had to be in charge. It was just, hell. You know, just because you're a man doesn't mean you're a millionaire, right? So that was the main thing, that economic gap. Even though she didn't do anything in a negative way to make me feel less than, it was the way I expressed myself to her about the way I did feel. That was my internal feelings. Not anything she projected on me. I was able to be open with her. And she did the same thing with me. And she told me one day, she said, you know, I actually miss what it would have been like to have been a girl with you in your shoes. I said, hell. <laughs> It'd have been tough. I said, because... Uh, we would do things like probably go to fast food at times. Maybe a restaurant here and there. And she perked up and she said, let's go to a fast food restaurant. I've never been to one. This was my first time going to fast food. 
and I forgot where we went to. Fast burgers? We went somewhere because we had some sloppy ass burgers. And she enjoyed it. She was used to eating at restaurants. And then she got so comfortable, we had a farting contest. <laughs> then I knew we were going to be together because we had a mating call. It happens. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you, when you start farting around your partner openly, you might have something going on. More than just making methane. But one thing that I want you to also understand too is this. Sharing your feelings is nothing to be embarrassed by. Those are your feelings. More in a moment. Again, you were absolutely right. I recently started a relationship, and when you talk about character, behavior, situation, and results, it fit like a glove in my situation recently. Oh, and there was an X factor as well. We are trying to work through some of our differences. We at Romantic Truth appreciate your listenership. Listeners, you're invited to stream and listen to Jawson's music on Apple Music, Amazon Music, Spotify, Audio Mac, or Deezer. Type in J-A-U-S-A-N in the search for artists to follow and like modern instrumental music from his discography. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those solely of the host and are not condoned, or endorsed by Romantic Truth, Anchor or any of its affiliates. The advice given herein is the expressed opinion of the host and not to be used for legal, marital, or family, counseling, or for professional practice purposes. In the event for professional assistance, please contact the local licensed professional family counselor, marriage counselor or social services professional in your region. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. Be advised that all of the background music of production not provided by Anchor is owned by James Adams and Jaws and One Music exclusively licensed for this Romantic Truth podcast under waiver. Please understand that there were no people or animals hurt in the segments of this show including plants. All sound effects were improvised in the studio setting with props. We are an equal opportunity employer with two Yorkie poodles and a rat terrier as the security detail. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.